things of the faith and move on. Boy, are we in the weeds today in Leviticus. We're talking about things much bigger than mere sacrifices. Chapter 7 is about Melchizedek, this king of Salem, priest of Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Anyway, it's about, uh, it's about uh, Melchizedek, a figure, a figure, a shadow, a uh, uh, pattern of Jesus Christ. Well, there's something wrong with that, or apparently it would be to any Jew reading, because he was of the line of... He had no lineage. Melchizedek. He wasn't a Levite. What? Abraham paying tithes to a non-Levite? That's right. And so that, this is what we're engaged in right now. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy. That doesn't mean that he was some sort of angelic figure. No, not at all. It just means that he did not keep those Jewish records that were required to justify being a priest in the Levitical line. He was none of that. And yet he was the one that Abraham, to whom Abraham paid tithes. It is those kinds of shadows and figures that we are discussing in the book of Leviticus and we need to know that up front before we start going back there and uh, uh, discussing Leviticus, uh, those things that go on in the book of Leviticus. I've, put a, I've spent a lot of time at this because it's so important. The uh, 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 title of my uh, lesson this morning dangerous glory the things that we're going to read about in Leviticus were necessary if you're going to approach a holy God you approach a holy God without an atoning sacrifice you die an atoning sacrifice is necessary for right relationship with God do you remember those scenes at Sinai where God appeared in the mountain? Moses was up there. It scared the daylights out of people. And rightly so. You can't approach this God without a sacrifice, without an offering. They were instructed in this in literal fashion in like Leviticus chapter Two that we're going to read today. But I want you to know that the basis for all of this is explained in chapters 7 and 8 in the book of Hebrews. These are copies and shadows of heavenly things. We don't offer any cows. We don't offer any sheep. But there's a way in which you do. When you come into this building, you are, in a sense, offering up your own soul. 
Remember that. That might change your attitude when you come into this house. <laughs> but we need to be serious about that. These things are not just taken for, for no reason at all. These tight shadows, patterns, and figures. Analogies. All of this stuff. It's for our understanding. And I'm glad we came here uh, to Leviticus. At first, I already told you and confessed, I was a little bit intimidated by it. You know, have you ever read through the Bible? I have people who read through the Bible and they do just fine until they get to Leviticus and boom, they're gone. They skip. Because Leviticus will drive you nuts if you haven't got the kind of preparation that you need. It's not an easy read. You can read it, but you'll get bored with it and say, what in the world? And you can only imagine the Israelites must have asked those questions too. So turn back to chapter 2. Dangerous glory. Now we've already talked in chapter 1 of that uh, uh, burnt offering. That is the more important one at here in terms of the holiness of God uh, uh, and the dangerous glory. Don't approach this God without an atoning sacrifice. And that first sacrifice was an atoning one. It served as an atonement. And if you remember, the worshiper put his head upon the uh, head of that offering to identify with it. That is to say, uh, I identify with this sacrifice, and then the priests go and kill this the animal. Well, actually, the, the worshiper did there. Uh, in, in chapter 1, the worshiper killed that thing. And then the priest took the blood and plastered it all around the altar and so forth. That was a uh, uh, burnt offering. It was put on finally after it was butchered. Uh, next week's lesson, I'll already give you a, a, a heads up on it, chapter 3. Uh, my uh, title is... All the fat is the Lord's. Right, Matt? Matt? <laughs> All the fat is the Lord's. Hey, it's not me. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 16. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. We'll get into that next week. But it's exciting stuff, actually, in its own way now. Now that I'm into Leviticus, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, it is difficult. I'm telling you right now, it's difficult. And I'm wondering, I put myself sort of trying to empathize with the worshiper as he came to the gate of that thing with carrying, a, bringing a young bull, okay? Slit in its throat. Do you guys do that out on the farm? <laughs> Probably not. You leave that up to the people who process meat, don't you? <laughs> but slit in its throat, identifying with it, laying your hands on the head of that thing, and then killing it right there before everybody. Why? Do you think that they said, what? I think they did. They were probably perplexed a little bit about 
Why is this necessary? And the book of Hebrews has already told us. You can't approach this God without an atoning sacrifice. Who is our atoning sacrifice? All of you know. You walked in the door to worship him this morning. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We killed him. Am I right, Tyler? Our sins took him to the cross. He is our atoning sacrifice and, and the relationship between us and God has been restored and we can come into his presence and we don't have to fear the dangerous glory because we will be like him. Oh my, I want to go. Do you want to go? John Bauer is there, the man I was telling you about. I want to see John again, but I want to see my Lord Jesus Christ and be in the glory around the throne of God. Are you kidding? I'll wait for the Lord's time. But I want to be there. These pictures are just most beautiful. Chapter 2, Leviticus. When anyone offers a grain offering, by the way, a grain offering is no longer an atoning sacrifice. You should know that. It is not for atonement. It is worship and fellowship. Worship. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. Excuse me, sir. We're in the middle of the desert. Where do I get fine flour? Well, if you remember, when they were coming out of Egypt, they stored some grains and things like that, hoping, I, I assume, that they were going to go into the promised land and they would then uh, plant those things. But they were going into their precious stores. Fine flour was made not out of just whole corn, but out of the middle kernel of corn. You know, the inside, fine flour. What is the message? What is the figure? What is the intent of the Lord when he does that? Says, make it be with fine flour. Anybody want to take a stab? What's it, figure, uh, what's it a figure of? What is it trying to communicate? Nobody wants to take a chance. The of the flower. Amen. That it is, one, valuable, probably expensive, and he wants your best. Don't bring slop to this Lord. He wants your finest flower. He wants this spotless animal that has no defects. Those people probably didn't see Jesus Christ in that like we almost automatically do. But that's what it was communicating. A spotless animal sacrificed for the person bringing the offering. I can't preach. That. See, I, 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 when I talk with people outside uh, uh, of this group and outside of our church and everything, they, they know that I teach. And I said, yeah, I'm teaching on 
the gospel according to Leviticus. Well, <laughs> we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it is the gospel before, before, long before in the desert, the gospel is being preached by figures and symbols and uh, uh, all of those things, patterns that are exactly designed. You remember Mo uh, uh, God said, Moses, you make sure that you make this exactly like I tell you. Not one difference. It was God who set the standards. And he is showing here to those Israelites Jesus Christ and his sacrificial atoning death. Is that lovely or what? Well, I, I think so. And so it, it makes you excited more about reading the book of Leviticus because you know that every single thing is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is up to us to try to discover what those figures were. You know, uh, the author of Hebrews says, I'd like to go, and remember when he said this, and I'm paraphrasing, I'd like to go into this deeper, but I don't have the time now. Do you remember that from the book of Hebrews? That's what he said. Uh, we'd leave the elemental things and, and so forth, and he said, I'd like to go into all of this, but I don't have time. Got to move on to the deeper things. Well, now we're back in the weeds of Leviticus. Beginning in verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall put pour oil on it and put frankincense, or um, a, uh, an herb, uh, on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. It sounds like a meal, a, a biscuit, a bread, being, or something like that. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. In that regard, the, uh, 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 the burnt offering in chapter 1 is similar to this one. It's being offered on an altar made by fire, and it becomes a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, folks, I already mentioned it last week. God doesn't need food. Does he? No. God doesn't need food. But God created food. God and, and a sweet aroma. We would recognize it, wouldn't we? Smell the bacon on the stove in the morning, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so it's not Levitical, but uh, it's uh, sweet aroma. And I know I have to turn the fan on, the uh, exhaust fan there. To <laughs> but it's a good smell, a sweet aroma to the Lord. He shall bring it to Aaron's son. The rest of the grain offering, he takes out a memorial bit in his hand, and he burns it on the altar. The priest does. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. You have to wonder, where, where did they get their food? Well, here it is, part of it, at least. It is most holy, 
of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Let me read that again. It is most holy. Most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire goes to Aaron's son, the priests, who are officiating at the tabernacle. Verse 4, and if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, so it didn't have to be specifically one thing or another, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. I don't think I have to ask anybody here what leaven represents. Jesus made it really clear in his ministry and all through the Bible we see that leaven represents corruption, sin, and the like. And that we are, uh, that is to have none of that. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be of fine flour, there it is again, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Interesting stuff. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. Do you see that there are several ways of bringing this offering to God? And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take the grain offering, from the grain offering, a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So in that sense, it's similar to the uh, uh, burnt offering in chapter 1, but it is totally different. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, there it is, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey. Okay, I'm going to confess. I'm not quite sure. I've got a little study to do before I find out why, why the uh, 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 prohibition of honey is included here. Does anybody have that already? Has anybody studied this out? I'd be glad to hear the explanation. I understand the leaven. The honey? Whew, it kind of went past me. So I, I've got that on my notepads. At home. <laughs> I have to study that out. Uh, I'll be the first to admit I haven't uh, uh, cracked that secret yet. Uh, but you're not to burn leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, that is when the crop came in or whatever, the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. What? Okay. <laughs> and every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. Now that doesn't take long to make that connection. You're the salt of the earth. Every offering of your grain uh, offering, you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt 
of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, what I'm going to tell you is just stuff I've studied over the... Wait a minute, how long, how long have I been in the Lord? Well, a long time. <laughs> but over the years I've learned this. It was common parlance in the old age about talking about, uh, I, have, I have tasted the salt of this tribe in Manchuria. I have uh, uh, tasted the salt means that you have a covenant with them. That you're in covenant relationship. And so the salt is being played in that exact uh, notion here. It speaks of the covenant that God has with us, with the offer. Um, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. Once again, I beg interest, uh, your uh, tolerance of my ignorance. But let me say, I have some, the reason they're green, what happens when the grain, say wheat in the field, gets ripe and gold? Some of the seeds fall out, right? Am I right? Are you, come on, some of you are farmers. The grain falls out. There are grains that are missing from that, uh, from that uh, thing if you allow them to get golden, what you call it. Here, he wants all the grains there and, and everything. So he says you shall offer uh, green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it it is a grain offering, worship, fellowship. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of it, its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Boy, it's full of things, isn't it? I mean, it's veritably full from the beginning to the end of chapter 2 of these pictures and figures and patterns that we see uh, consistently through this wonderful book. I, uh, uh, I think I'm trying to pull out the ones that I feel confident in communicating to you and confessing to you those that I struggle with, like the honey prohibition. Would the Lord be proud of my three containers of Honey up in the cabinets. <laughs> it's already gone. I mean, okay, we're not, we're not talking about these things anymore. I am not under the Levitical law. We are, uh, we are free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus had died and there is remission. Hallelujah. Um, so have all the honey you want to. Well, it is sugary and diabetics should probably uh, show restraint. Uh, but I'm not exactly sure we're studying out why the honey is prohibited in the grain offering. Nonetheless, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, uh, once again, if you turn over to 
chapter uh, 9 of Hebrews. Go back to chapter 9. And I'll try to finish out here pretty soon. Um, I want to go back to eight. I know it's a bit controversial sometimes, uh, but I'm, I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, chapters eight and beginning at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. He says, uh, I, I, uh, they violated the old covenant that it would be the one with Moses and the one in uh, Mount Sinai. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says, quote, a new covenant, close quote, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. But, read on. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the ta tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. If I were to draw a dot or a uh, spot and then rings around it, one, two, three, we would call that variations of holiness from outside the gate to just inside the gate where they kill the animals to the inside of the first level of the tabernacle all different levels of holiness to the most holy place finally inside the veil all of that is symbolic. We'll, find, we'll probably get to that at a later point. But once again, I ask you all to consider what the New Testament reports when Jesus Christ breathed his last and cried out, unto your hands I commit my soul. And what happened over at the temple The veil was rent. The most holy place had been opened up. Now anyone could walk in. All of the pictures ended. All of the figures ended. They had been fulfilled by this one person. Jesus Christ our Lord. He has entered into the real holy place. Not some sanctuary in Israel. He is in the holy place and you enter into it every time 
You bow the knee at home. And then you say to yourself and begin to pray, Lord Jesus. You're talking to the Lord in the Holy of Holies in the true tabernacle and the true temple. That's heaven where he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. All of these things are gone, but they're included in our lesson. In other words, they're still important for our understanding. And we see the transition that's going from symbolic all the way to actual fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't burnt. You get that? When he hung on the cross, he was beaten, bloodied, all of those things, but he wasn't burnt like a burnt offering. But the burnt offering was symbolic of Jesus Christ the Lord dying for his people. All of this is going to come together in the book of Leviticus, and I'm so thankful for it. And I am really glad, although I don't see Ron and Tammy here, but they are the ones that goaded me into the book of Leviticus. And so anyway, no, no, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, the study, and I will do my dead level best to try to squeeze out what we can from this wonderful book about, and I reiterate, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Nikki, go ahead. Yes. Oh. Now leave it to a woman who cooks to know this kind of stuff. <laughs> what for me? It's throw something in the in, in the radar range. Oh, excuse me, that's microwave. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> uh, throw something in the microwave. Uh, Nikki, thank you very much. I will study that out. That may well be the case. Uh, you know, because honey is considered pure. Did you know that? You don't have to, uh, you don't have to do anything with honey. Uh, uh, when bees make honey, it's pure as it comes from the hive. But it can be corrupted probably by the leaven, that kind of thing. Very good. I'm glad you turned me on to that, Nikki. I appreciate it very much. That may be helpful in my study. I feel a little embarrassed not being able to answer it myself, but nonetheless. Uh, so we are seeing these things. I'm running over a little bit. All of these things that the book of, of uh, Hebrews uh, taught us as we were coming through that book. If you haven't been with us during that time, we have now done 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Hebrews, James, and now Leviticus as a follow-up. And uh, I'm having the time of my life in terms of that, that is the study of the Word of God. And uh, being blessed almost daily uh, with my studies. Have I told you about my dilemma with studies? When I was a youngster in uh, my pastoral ministry, 
I could study for like four hours straight. Take a 15-minute break, have a drink, go back, study for another three hours. Now I make about 30 minutes. I have to take a nap. No, I'm joking. But you know what I'm saying. The 81-year-old mind and body just is not the same as it was when I was 28, okay? Uh, and, and it's really, uh, my study goes all week long. I'm studying all week long because I have to put together uh, uh, hours and minutes of study. But uh, so despite my infirmities, I'm enjoying the daylights out of this study. Let's close as we leave. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your inspiration of these words. And I'm sure that many of the Israelites did not understand in the sense, in the comprehensive sense, that we are allowed to understand that this all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you said it that way from the very beginning. Yea, even back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. But Lord, we are thankful that we still have it. We ask your blessing upon the study of your word in this regard in the book of Leviticus. And we pray that you'll give us the insights necessary for understanding this in a comprehensive sense. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way... I